You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. If you want a title this morning, it's simply this, Rooted and Established in Love. Rooted and Established in Love. And if you know your Bible well, you'll know where we're about to turn. We're going to go to Ephesians 3 and read verses 14 to 21. It'll come up on your screen, but if you've got a Bible or a device and you want to have it open there, Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. And it's a prayer. Paul says this, For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a phenomenal prayer that is. Well, that's written by Paul. And it's actually in the middle of a letter that he was writing to the Ephesians in a church in what is now modern day Turkey. He was encouraging the believers. He'd begun to expound a little bit of the wonder of what God has done for us, this living hope that we've just sung about. And then he comes to this prayer in which he magnificently talks about the love of Jesus Christ and his desire for the believers and indeed for us here today to be rooted and established in love. The King James uses the word grounded. It gives us that similar sense, rooted and established in love. I'm conscious that in our society, the word love gets so overused. It gets used to describe all kinds of things. It gets used to describe love, yes, but also lust, liking, appetite, preference. We wouldn't be surprised to hear me say, Mary, I love your boots. Luke, I love your jacket, is how we use the phrase. Mark Beswick, don't you love Ferrero Rocher? He does. (laughs) We use it all the time. I love it. It gets used in advertising. I wonder what comes to mind if you hear this. Do, 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 do. I'm loving it. Okay, we're all well indoctrinated in the ways of our world. I'm glad it worked, though. I would have looked really stupid if I'd stood up there and sung those notes and you'd have gone, uh. Yeah, I did it to my son yesterday just to see if it worked, and he recognized it. And unfortunately, it was an hour before tea, and I'd cooked something he didn't want. And he thought I was sublimely saying, I'm going to go take you to McDonald's. And it all went really, really wrong. But anyway, we'll move on. But the point is, you know, I'm loving it. Big Mac and fries. We love it. Do we love it? Is this really what love is? I know right now some people are fasting and I'm going to move quickly on rather than stay here anymore. The point is that the word love can lose its power 
It can become a bit dull to us because of how it's used and how often we hear it. We hear it's just another word, whereas it is far more than a word. And when we come to talk about the love of God, we've got to get past this overuse of it in our society so we can properly understand the meaning that the Lord would convey to us. And I'm going to read us a story at the start here just to help us to grasp the kind of love we're talking about. And this is from this book, Love Beyond Reason by John Ortberg. He says, the test of love is that it gives even when there is no expectation of a return. Anne Lamott wrote of an eight-year-old boy who had a young sister dying of leukemia. He was told that without a blood transfusion, she would die. His parents asked if they could test his blood to see if it was compatible with hers, and he said, sure. They tested, and it was a match. Then they asked if he would give his sister a pint of his own blood, that it could be her only chance of living. He said he would have to think about that overnight. The next day, he told his parents he was willing to donate the blood. They took him to the hospital, and he was put on a gurney beside his six-year-old sister. Both were hooked up to IVs. A nurse took a pint of blood from the boy, which was given to his sister. The boy lay in silence as the blood that would save his sister dripped from the IV until the doctor came over to see how he was doing. Then the boy opened his eyes and asked, how soon until I start to die? Love is never so fully love as when it gives. It reminds us what real love is. And we can find ourselves impacted by the story of a young boy who would give himself for his sister, albeit with a wrong understanding that actually this would cost him his own life, but he was willing to do it because he loved her. And friends, this is the kind of love that God has shown to us. And at one level, many of us know about this love. If you're new here to church today and you've never heard about God's love, I can tell you the love of Jesus Christ is going to be the best news that you have ever heard about. But for many of us in church, we hear of it and we know of it notionally, but we haven't really got it yet. We haven't really grasped it. We haven't really understood it. In some ways, we can even be dull to that. And we certainly haven't rooted and established our lives in it. I'm aware that some of us, maybe many of us, have had experiences of love from people which leave us hurt. People who said they loved us, but they let us down. We relied on their love and then... It gave way. Maybe you were supposedly loved by someone, but it was controlling and manipulative. Maybe your experience of love from a person has just been second rate or disappointing. And we can allow those experiences to color our expectation of God, to distort our view of his love. And we come with a question, or we carry a question of whether we can really depend upon his love. And then sometimes tough things happen in life, and it can make us question, well, if that's happening, does God really love me? It's a whole message for another day, really, and the brief answer is yes, but isn't it right that sometimes when things are difficult, we can sometimes find ourselves questioning the love of God for us? And on top of this, we don't always feel very lovable. We know we have flaws, we have issues, we do our best to hide them from the people around us, and we sometimes manage that for a time, but we know we can't hide them from God. As Martin said, as he preached last week, if I were God, 
I wouldn't love me. We can be left questioning God's love. Does God, could God really love me? And here we come to these verses this morning, Paul writing in Ephesians 3, praying for the church in Ephesus, praying that they would be rooted, that they'd be established in love. Because he's understood really that the answer to this question, does God really love me? And the response to it and what we do is absolutely fundamental in the life of every believer. If they're going to go on to do anything, if they're going to go on to be anywhere near the fullness that God has in mind for them, it begins here with being rooted and established in love. Martin, last week, as part of his message, he read this quote from Brennan Manning, the late American author and speaker. He said this, I'll just read part of it today. After literally thousands of hours of prayer, meditation, silence, and solitude, I'm convinced on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus will ask one question, and one question only. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? And the real believers will answer, yes, Jesus. I believed your love and I tried to shape my life as a response to it. If you want to read the full quote or hear the full quote, you can go on to last week's message. I tried to shape my life in response to it. It's another way of saying I rooted and established my life in it. And friends, for the next two weeks, we're going to just park here and being rooted and established in love. This week, more of a foundation. Next week, more of a practical application. Let's read these verses again, just homing in from the ones that we read at the start. Paul is saying, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, if you're familiar with the, with the book of Ephesians or the start of Ephesians, it's a really valid question to say, are we sure that Paul is saying here that we need to be rooted and established in God's love? Are we sure he's not just saying you need to be rooted and established in loving God or in showing God's love to other people? And given the first two chapters of Ephesians, that's a valid question that we should ask. Some of that is what Paul has been touching upon. But you know, if we're genuinely going to love God, if we're going to genuinely show God's love to other people, it always begins with God's love for us. As John says in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Until we understand that he loves us, until we connect to that source, we won't be able to love. So I think we're we're completely accurate in coming to this and understanding that Paul is wanting us to be rooted and established in God's love. And just to provide out here in those verses, I'm not going to go anywhere near trying to explain what it means to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's something I desire, but it's not something I'm going to try to unpack here this morning. But where I want us to focus on is Paul praying for the followers of Jesus, that our very roots, our very foundations must be firmly planted in God's love. You know, as we also heard last week, when we know that he loves us, it changes everything. When we know that he loves us, 
it changes everything. So I want us to ask this question over these two weeks, to ask the question of ourselves, where are the roots of my life? Where are they? What are they planted in? Am I rooted and established in God's love? I wonder if for a moment you could maybe picture your life as a tree. Roots, trunks, branches. The branches, if you like, are like our behaviors that other people around us can perceive and see. Some of them are good, some not so good, some are healthy, some not so healthy. But what determines those behaviors, the branches, is what is going on beneath the ground. What is happening in the roots, what soil they're in. You know, the soil that our lives are rooted in will be a combination of our circumstances, our family, our background, our cultural context, the beliefs that we have, the mindsets and paradigms, the, the framework within which we understand the world. It'll be affected by our ways and habits of thinking as well as our key relationships in the world and the society we find ourselves in. This is how we were when we came to Christ. This is what our roots were in, the combination, the product of these things, and we discover the love of God. We discover there's a salvation in Jesus Christ. We, we hear about it, and we find it, and we receive it, but do we truly believe it? Do we really know it? And if we do, does that mean we're automatically rooted and established in his love? I think not. I think Paul thinks not, and that's why he's praying for the Ephesians. He's saying this doesn't just happen. You know, we can come to Christ and then there's a journey of grasping, of understanding more and more that this love is true and it's real and it's for you. It can be depended upon. There's a process for many of us of orienting our lives around the love of God, that we live out from that place where the love of God becomes the central thing, the supreme influence upon us, the key motivator. This is what Paul is praying for, for the believers. This is what we're gonna be encouraging you towards in these next two weeks, to have lives that are rooted and established in the love of God, that are shaped and oriented around his life. Paul knows this doesn't just happen by accident. I know that from my own life, this doesn't just happen by accident. I had a season in my life, probably more than 20 years ago now, but where the Holy Spirit helped me to see that my life was rooted in all kinds of things that were not his love. It was rooted in insecurities, it was rooted in shame, in inadequacy. I was not very whole. On the inside, I was a bit of a mess. I'll talk more about that next week, but he enabled me then to shape my life instead around the truth of his love, and I began to get rooted and established, began to have something solid to build on, a source to draw from. It utterly transformed my life. It gave me a solid place to build from and to actually establish something on. I'm forever grateful for that season when the Lord began a work, which continues today. We'll talk more about the practicalities of, how, of the how of this journey next week. But this morning, I wanna invite you again to consider God's love for you. 
to think about God's love for you, inspired by Paul's prayer. His desire was that they and we would have power, together with all God's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. I'm saying you can see me trying to kind of do gestures with those. There's not enough gestures to actually go with those dimensions. And he wants them to know that love that surpasses knowledge. Wow, Paul is praying for them to understand something that is beyond understanding. It did cross my mind as I'm preparing that as a preacher, I've been fairly unwise to stand on the platform and to try and preach about something that surpasses understanding. I could stitch myself up here quite easily. You know, it, we can all understand more of the love of God. We can all grasp it a bit more. We're never fully going to understand it. We're never fully going to grasp it until either he takes us to heaven or he returns and we see him face to face but we can understand more than we have already grasped. See, Paul is describing this love here in terms of four dimensions. You know, in this world, most of us will know there are three dimensions in the physical realm. Three dimensions, not four. But Paul uses four here because he wants his readers, or he wants them to understand the exceeding greatness of Christ's love, the unsearchable, glorious riches that are in his love. This is no ordinary love. He's not praying for them to understand a love that fits within our normal physical realm of understanding. In fact, this is not a love that you will recognize. This is not a love that fits in line with what we're used to seeing as humans. In fact, when Martin began the, ser the service today in 1 John 3, he began with a verse, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And there's a great word in that, the word that gets translated, what manner, is a Greek word, potopos. It's only used in one other place in Scripture. And it's used in Matthew 8, and the disciples use it when Jesus has just calmed the storm. And it says they were amazed, and they said, what sort of a man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's like, what sort is this? This is different to anything we've experienced before. And John uses the same word to describe the love of God. What sort of love is this? That we should be written into the story of the Father God and brought in as sons and daughters. This love is unrecognizable when put against human love. It is completely different. This is the love that God has for you. Now, some commentators look at this passage and they attribute different meanings to the dimensions that Paul uses, and that can help us understand. It can help us grasp something more of God's love. He says it's wide. It's wide enough so that nobody is excluded from the reach of Christ's love. Wherever you are, whoever you are, high birth, low birth, age, culture, context, nobody is excluded because the love of Christ is wide. It's long. This love, it lasts forever. It's eternal. Do you know God will not die? Christ died and rose and now lives in the power of an indestructible life. He's never going to die. His love is going to go on and on and on, which means it's secure. It's steadfast. It's never going to run out. This love is deep. It goes so low. There is no one that has gone too low. There is no one who's stooped so low that this love can't reach them. No one 
caught in sin and misery in a wretched place who cannot be brought up by this love because this love will go deep enough. No one is too low. And this love is high. This love entitles us and moves us, raises us to the highest place, to heaven itself. In the earlier chapters of Ephesians, it says we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. This love is enough to save and restore us completely. It's wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep. And it can help us to begin to grasp some things about the love of God. But I think Paul is just saying primarily this love is multidimensional. There's more to it than meets the eye. There's more to it than you can get from just looking square on at it. There's more than we have yet imagined. It's beyond our world, beyond our understanding. It's unrecognizable to our normal human way of loving. Christ's love for you is divine. Christ's love for you is different. Christ's love for you is beyond anything you have tasted from someone on this earth. Now, Paul, as a scholar of the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, he knew that all through the Old Testament, the love of God is described in a way that is multi-dimensional. This would not have been a new theme to him. There's a number of different words that are used in the Old Testament to describe the love of God, but one of them, which uh, appears more than 240 times, it's this word that's going to come up on the screen, chesed. Sometimes it's spelt with a C because it's got a guttural sounding H at the start. Sometimes it's written with it and without it, chesed. And we get the multi-dimensional, multi-faceted nature of God's love becomes even more obvious to us when we try to translate this Hebrew word into English. Because there is not an English word that can be used to translate this word that describes God's love. In fact, there are many, many different words that get used through the Old Testament. Clusters of words, words put together to try to adequately express a love of this God. Here's some of the things that are written to explain and to translate this love. Covenant love, faithful and loving, great love, loyal, grace, mercy, loving kindness, unfailing kindness, devotion, favor, approval, un failing love. These are just some of the terms that are used to try to explain this chesed, love of God. You know, it's totally transformed my life, realizing that the love of God is unfailing. There's a simple prayer of Moses in one of the Psalms, in Psalm 90, it says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. I pray it most mornings. It's revolutionized what happens on the inside of me as I receive day by day the unfailing love, a growing understanding of the chesed love of God, that it's beyond what I'd understood before and it goes deeper as I keep growing with it. You see, God's love, this chesed love, it it combines kindness and compassion that we're used to associating with love with unwavering commitment and steadfastness and strength, with loyalty and faithfulness. We understand there's a covenant 
of love. Covenant meaning a committing of oneself regardless of the state of the other. Chesed means it's got a connotation of permanent family. A determined willing to love that never ceases. Stickability through thick and thin. You know, the nearest we come anywhere near to this in our world is when a husband and a wife make a marriage vow. They go into covenant. They say things like in sickness and in health, for better, for worse. 20 years ago, just over, I went to the front of a building and made some vows to this man at the front here because I loved him in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. I loved him, so I made a commitment that actually we're gonna enter into a covenant that regardless of how I feel, regardless of what happens to us, regardless of what happens to you or to me, I commit to love you, to be there. I'm not going anywhere. For some of us, it's maybe not the most helpful picture because of other experiences, but when we can picture a good marriage, which we may have seen, then it gets us somewhere towards understanding the language of covenant. It's a commitment made irrespective of how you are or how I feel. Is there anyone here who desires to be loved in this way? We all desire to be loved in this way, don't we? I desire to be loved in this way. We were made for it. We were designed for it, friends. We were made by the God for whom this chesed love is part of his very nature. God is love. And it says he made man in his image. I believe he made us designed to receive this love, designed to live in it, needing to know it. It was part of how we were made to be. Friends, I suggest that your soul needs this love as much as your body needs the oxygen you breathe in. You are made for it. This is why Paul is saying, oh Lord, may you be rooted and established in love. May you learn to put your roots into this love and draw from it and shape your life around it for it is life-giving, the chesed love of God made available to us in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you just think, well, that's a nice word, but what's in a word? What really are God's credentials? Can we really trust him? What is his track record? And I would invite you to read through the Old Testament because right from the beginning of the Old Testament, from Genesis 12, where he calls Abraham and calls a people to himself and makes covenant with him, we see the unfolding account of how God loves his people in this way, with this chesed, unfailing love. He's faithful even in their unfaithfulness. He's loyal, he's steadfast, he's protecting. And even at the point, which doesn't make very pretty reading, but even at the point where generation after generation rejected him, rebelled against him, behaved in ways that frankly were terrible, he responded in such a way that he allowed them to forsake him. He allowed them to do their own thing, which didn't end that well but then he made it possible for them still to come back, to have another chance. The door was open, they were still his people. He is faithful, he is steadfast, 
His love is unfailing. He is merciful, compassionate. He's gracious. This is the language of covenant love, which is the love that he has for you today. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe at some point you've walked out on God. Maybe at some point you've decided to do your own thing. Maybe you've behaved in terrible ways. Maybe you've wondered if you've ruled yourself out from God's love. But friends, the chesed, love of God, speaks a love that goes beyond that, a love that is steadfast, it's loyal, it's committed to you, it never walks away. He still loves you. He's just waiting for you to return. His love for you is unfailing. It's unfailing. Like a loving parent, you know, with little ones growing up, some days aren't so good. Some days there's temper tantrums in, the, in Sainsbury's. They cause you utter humiliation. And then you take them home and you put them in bed and you love them. And even when they grow up and there's still challenges, every parent knows that, that you love them. You love them. You don't stop loving them. And if that is us with a human heart, then how much more the God whose chesed love is part of his nature. Friends, this love of God for you is greater than you've grasped. It's more steadfast than you have understood. It's more gracious and more merciful than you have realized. And it's more abounding than you have even begun to dream. The God who made you is utterly wild about you. Wild about you. It says in scripture that he sings over his people. He sings over you. He delights in you. He's going to stand by you. If you choose to follow him, he's going to be there for eternity. This love will not walk out on you. Just to give us a bit of an idea of how unfathomable this love is. I don't know if any of you saw on January the 1st this year, NASA were very excited about their New Horizons project. who were doing their furthest from Earth space flyby. Did anybody see any of that on the news? There's three of us, okay, this is not gonna be a helpful illustration. I've got some pictures on my PowerPoint though, so we're gonna, I'm gonna educate you. Uh, so NASA had sent this probe, this is the furthest from Earth flyby ever achieved. This is the Ultima Thule, which is out beyond Pluto. I think we've got another picture of the solar system, just to give you a sense of how far away this really was. So Pluto, which is the smallest planet, a dwarf planet in our solar system, more than seven billion miles from the Earth. Anyone think that? That's, that's a long way, yeah. Seven billion miles. I can't really get my head around that. And then this Ultima Thule that they went to have a flyby and get some photos of, another billion miles beyond Pluto. So this is maybe why I'd never heard of it before I saw it on the news on the 1st of January. But NASA and some children with little flags who I saw on the news were very excited about the fact they managed to get there and take photos of the surface of this object. It's so far away. It's so high. Billions and billions of miles away. This is how high the heavens are. And then I turn to the word of God and I see in Psalm 108 verse 4, it says this, For great is your love higher than the heavens. Great is your love higher than the heavens. 
Man has managed to kind of send probes into the heavens to eight billion miles away. But they think there's maybe billions of solar systems, even beyond our solar system, even just in the Milky Way galaxy. We haven't begun to grasp the height of the heavens, and yet God says his love is higher than the heavens, bigger than that, greater than that. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. This, friends, is the kind of love that God has for you. And all of that is said without even coming to the cross. Without coming to the cross. The narrative of the Old Testament gives us this background of the faithful God, of this chesed love. And then we step into the New Testament and we see Jesus, where God becomes man, takes on flesh and actually steps into our world because he loves us and goes to the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, before we'd come home, before we'd sorted it out, before we'd repented, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the ultimate expression of chesed love that gives even to the rebellious, even to his enemies, even to those who are far away. And Jesus in John 15 says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Greater love has no one than this. And he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. I wonder if you can just picture with me for a moment Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Shortly after he said those words, it tells us in the Gospels that he was in anguish, overwhelmed with sorrow at what he was about to face when he went to the cross. We even get an insight into what he was praying. And he's praying, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. He's saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to taste what I've got to taste. Yet, he says, not what I will, but what you will. You know the anguish in the garden it makes me realize this was not easy for Jesus. Jesus did not want, naturally speaking, to go to the cross. And it makes me think that if Jesus was ever gonna walk out on me, if Jesus was ever not gonna follow through on what he's committed to, if he was ever gonna step back from it or pull back from his commitment, it would have been then. It would have been then. He was right at the edge. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. He didn't pull back. He hung on the cross and he was mocked by the chief priests and the teachers of the law and still he can't save himself. They said, let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now. Then we'll see and believe. And friends, he could have done so. He could have come down. He'd made it clear to the disciples. He said to them in the garden when someone had got their sword out, he said, put that away. Do you not think I can't call on my father who immediately would put on my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It's like he could have bailed at any moment. 
He was not the victim of the circumstances. He was walking through the will of God. He was willingly cooperating. It says in Hebrews, because of the joy set before him, he scorned the cross and endured its shame. Why? Because he's not gonna walk out on you. Because he's not gonna pull back from you. Because he's willing to give what it takes to save you and to walk with you and to fully outwork the chesed love that we see in the Old Testament. The cross stands there to tell you he will never walk out on you. What I've found is as I trust him, it doesn't mean everything goes how I want it to go. It doesn't mean I can absolve myself of responsibility and think that everything will go all right while I make any decision I want. He respects my decisions amazingly. And yet he is faithful. His love is unfailing. He is present. In him I lack nothing. All I need is you, we sung this morning. And it's true. And he will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. If he was going to walk out, friends, he would have done it. Paul writes in Romans 8:32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friend, how could he give us everything at the cross and then walk out? How could he invest everything in that point and then not follow through? Even you and I know that there comes a point in something or someone where we've invested so much, we're like, I'm invested here. It doesn't actually matter anymore, I'm just in. I've poured so much of myself into this, I'm gonna keep going. He's already tasted your sin. He's already seen it all, he carried it on the cross. It hasn't surprised him. If you've let him down this week, it didn't surprise him. He tasted it on the cross. He always knew that that's how things would play out. But he loves you with a love that gives and that has given fully of itself. Like the brother in the story that I read at the start, willing to give himself for his sister. And I wonder perhaps one day the son said to the father in heaven, in full understanding, maybe as they planned the creation of the world, how long until I start to die? For he knew fully the cost and he chose to pay it. Friends, whatever your experience of love here on the earth, whatever that may have been, God's love is different and it has track record. It's shown through history and it's proven at the cross. He loves you. You can depend on this love. And Paul prays for the believers. He says, will you be rooted and established in love? And it begins with us coming and having, grasping and understanding that this love is real. It's true. It's dependable. We believe it. We're going to lean on it. You know, this multidimensional love of God, it does surpass knowledge. We're not going to get more of it by studying more or thinking harder about it. You know, it occurs to me that in the understanding of dimensions, when babies are little, they don't know about height or depth or length or width. 
when a little baby starts to crawl, maybe about eight or nine months old, if you'll excuse me, just getting on my hands and knees, if we put them on the platform this morning, they'd go to the edge and what would happen? They'd keep on going. It would just look like a line on the floor. There's a nod here about little Adeline over there. Is that where she's at? They don't know about depth. They don't have any depth perception, but you know how they learn? Because if I was to put a 12-month-old, in fact, little Ezra Boyle, he was on the stage last week because we'd cleared it at the end of the service, he knew fine well where the edge was. And when he got to the edge, he turned backwards and came down, down the steps safely because he'd learned. Something had happened between eight months and 12 months, and it wasn't that he'd been taught. It wasn't that he'd studied. It wasn't that he'd been educated to understand about depth and width and length. What's happened is he's moved. What's happened is he's gone to the edge and he's experienced it. He's felt the edge, probably sometimes good and sometimes bad. That's what happens when your little ones are growing up, but he's gone towards it and negotiated it, experienced it, engaged with it. And friends, I'm gonna suggest that if we want to know this love that surpasses knowledge, we get to know it when we become like a little child and we move towards it and we engage with it, and we kind of negotiate it, and try to move around it. And that is how we begin to appreciate it. It's there, it's surrounding us, it's dependable. If we stand off and wait until we fully understand it, we won't ever understand it. Understanding comes when we begin to engage with it and move towards it. In a moment, we're going to come and respond at the end of our service with communion, an opportunity to come and receive again. But I also want to challenge you that this week as you're praying and fasting, perhaps one of the key things that we should pray every day is, Lord, help me understand your love for me. Perhaps your prayer could become this week, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love. Maybe it should become, Lord, reveal to me today more of your love. Help me to grasp how loved I am by you. You know, more and more as I pray for my children, the key thing I pray is, oh, Lord, let these children know how loved they are by me and how loved they are by you. Because if they know those things, then we'll probably all get through. <laughs> Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love. We'll talk more next week about the how of becoming rooted and established in love. But today, our response, really, I wanna encourage you to come and to open your heart to the one who loves you. To come to the table this morning, to take of the bread and the cup, to remember his body broken and his blood poured out for you because he loves you. I invite you to come to the table this morning with an expectation of encountering his love deeper than you have done before. You know, as I came to the table at the end of the first service, I was overwhelmed again by the love of God. And I invite you to come with an expectation that that is, would be your experience this morning as you come to the table. That the Lord would reveal something more to you of His love for you and that you would receive it this morning as you come and renew covenant with me, Him, and say, I'm yours, you're mine. As you come and say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that it proves your love for me. Thank you that you're never going to walk out, that you don't walk out. 
As we come to the tables, the band will lead us. It's four tables as usual. In scripture, it instructs us that the table where we share the bread and the cup is for those who are followers of Jesus. And so I simply wanna say this morning, if you're here this morning and you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're new to all of this. I would still love to pray for you while others are coming to the table. If you wanna come to the front, I'll just pray a simple prayer that God would help you to know how loved you are by Him and that you would know that and encounter that this morning because everyone is welcome in His love today. He wants to reach every single one of us. I wonder if I can invite us to pray together. Father, we thank you for this love, this chesed love, which is different to anything we have experienced. We thank you that it is unfailing, that it is dependable, that it goes beyond what we have yet imagined in its grace and compassion, its mercy and kindness, its strength and steadfastness and commitment to us. Thank you. We pray, Holy Spirit, will you help us to encounter this love? Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd minister this love this morning to my brothers and sisters as they come to your table, that they'd have a fresh encounter with the love of God, that they would grasp it and glimpse it afresh, but also that they would taste it and experience the love of God as they take and receive of you again. So Holy Spirit, fill this place, fill our hearts and our lives, testify again in us to the love of God and help us in this journey, we pray, that we might know this love, how wide and long and high and deep it is that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge and be rooted and established in it, that we might know your fullness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.